0: Praise the Lord wait all you adults you can't be dismissed the youth are dismissed we're just getting started praise the Lord you can be seated though we're so glad that you're here all of you that are watching us online thanks for joining us if you weren't here this morning and you weren't prepared with your local church ties and offerings we just want to acknowledge that give you an opportunity to give if you need an envelope if you're making out a check Given by cash or debit or credit card, the ushers uh, uh, will give you an envelope if you just raise your hand high and raise it really high if you need one because there's people moving around and shifting and changing so they can get that. If you uh, are given by text or uh, by other means, given online, um, those numbers are not up there on the screen, but they normally are. Uh, you can find them and uh, praise the Lord. We thank you for your generosity. We know God is doing great things and uh, many different ideas, thoughts out there about the economy coming and going and up and down and all over the map. Uh, But thank God, God has a financial system that supersedes the natural. He has a way of blessing and prospering us that is over and above and beyond. And uh, so we are a blessed people. Praise the Lord we are incredibly blessed just a minute i have to look at a couple things get them in the right order amen thank you lord i might need my glasses tonight open your bibles with me to mark or matthew the 16th chapter Well, it'll be good to have them just in case. Thanks. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So excited this morning. uh, At least four people made a decision for Jesus Christ in the 1030 service this morning. uh, It'll never be the same. They'll never be the same. Heaven rejoices. We ought to just continue to rejoice uh, in what God is doing the lives of people uh, daily amen and we are here in Matthew chapter 16 and we began this a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, these things uh, somebody told me one time I uh, probably in Bible school said where well, you see something in three or four of the gospels that uh, really it's it's impressed by the Holy Spirit over and over and over again uh, there are some stories that are you know about this and about that and they took place and all of them line up, but sometimes people say, well, see, right, there's, there's contradiction between this and that. And there's really not contradiction. Uh, they fold and meld together. But some of these things are recorded really over and over so that we're impressed with this. And this is one of those that I believe in the day and the time that we live in. And many of you uh, sitting here are believers. You've been believers for a long time. But still, we get caught in the course of this world, right? Paul warns us to not get caught in the flow of this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so he knows that the the opportunity is writing to the Roman church of us just getting caught up. The message Bible says it like this, that you get caught up in the flow of the world without even thinking about it. And if we look at ourselves, get down the road a week or two weeks, and a month or two months or one year down the road, and we're like, how did I even get here? Why am I even thinking the thoughts that I'm thinking? Because we just got caught up in the flow without even thinking about it. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to them, and he says, listen, you used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you're alive unto God. And he says, why are you continually being caught up in the course of this world, which is dictated or is guided by the prince of the power of the air? The one that now works in the sons of disobedience, in which we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. But he says, No longer are you that way because you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And so it says, Listen, the the, the world just goes and they're caught in a flow that's dictated to by the enemy, by by the sin that entered in and the power that he has because of Adam's disobedience. So we have to set ourselves apart. From Those things and so uh, Jesus is explaining some of those things and he talks about this in Matthew chapter 16 in Mark chapter 8 in Luke chapter 9 He describes the same thing about giving up our life in John He doesn't say it really in the same exact way But here in verse 24 says then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone desires to come after me Or to be my disciple right? He's saying to the ones who are following, but he's saying, if anyone desires to come after me like you have or to follow me or to be my disciple, how many of you want to be a disciple of Jesus, right? We get that every time we raise our hand. I want to follow him. But, and we think, you know, it's just simple, and it is simple. To be born again, you don't have to do anything except for the blood of Jesus. But once your life is transformed and you want to follow him, then he says this, uh, uh, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man will come in In the glory of his father and with the angels and then he will reward each according To his works or according to the conduct that we have So we looked at this and really the first thing that he says is if you're going to follow him You have to deny yourself. And so we just put out a challenge a couple weeks ago and we said listen just just focus on denying yourself something this week and that whole idea of just denying yourself something that self wants is to actually get to the point that jesus uh, uh, true point is and his true thought process is and that is if you just keep indulging whatever you want you will sit on the throne of your life what jesus is actually talking about denying yourself is actually simple in those words and in, in the greek words that he speaks about it is to deny Yourself of self In other words, he says you can't really follow me and be selfish All right, thank you drive safe everybody <laughs> Right and it'll get quiet like that because that's where we we live. What about me? Who's going to notice me? What's in it for me? If I'm going to serve God, what's in it for me? If I'm going to take out time to go to church, what's in it for me? And Jesus said, you'll never be able to actually come after me until you get you off the throne and get me on the throne. You'll never really be able to walk in supernatural power. You'll never be able to really recognize the signs and the wonders and miracles. Why? Because it's all about you. And it can't be all about you and have a supernatural flow of God's power. But when you get off of the throne, Jesus gets on the throne, there's a free flow of the power of God and the life of God to move to others. So he says, what he actually says is he says, listen, you have to just work on saying no to you. So John the Baptist, he said it like this as they're talking to him about who he is and what he's doing and he's arising To really John the Baptist as odd as he was, you know He came out dressed in camel hair and came out of the desert and he started preaching but he drew great crowds He became he was an odd guy. It seems like but he came became pretty Notable in what he was doing in preaching even repentance, which wasn't popular, but he was gathering a crowd And They were talking to him about this and he started talking about Jesus to come and he said this about really denying himself He had a chance to say listen. I'm the guy you want to come to my meetings. You want to come to my preaching? But he said this he said I have to decrease So that he can increase and the whole idea of denying ourselves is me decreasing so that he increases that everything that I want begins to Move out of the way so that everything that he wants can come to fruition. And everything that he wants for you is better than what you want for yourself. Come on, we have to believe that if God would give Jesus to die for us and to die for our sins, as the Bible says in Romans, that if he would give Jesus to die for us, how would he not with Jesus, freely give us all things. In other words, if God has already given the most valuable, precious thing that he could ever have, his only begotten son, if he would do that for you, why would he withhold any good thing from you? If he's withholding, withholding anything that you want, it's because it will destroy you in the end. And he says, if we get ourself out of the way, God will come. And the Bible declares this, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning Of his own free will in other words your disaster you're crying out you're 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 yelling at God All the emotional things you do did not twist God's arm to send Jesus Jesus of his own free will gave uh, God of his own free will gave Jesus to die for you and me to declare, listen, I have your best interests in my heart. But in order for all of my best interests to take place in your life, you have to get yourself out of the way. So I think it was the 80s. The 80s seems a long time ago now. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think it was the 80s when we were saying, let go and let God. Right. Let go and let God. And so Jesus says, first priority, if you're going to follow him, you can't be following after everything you want to do. You're going to have to deny yourself. Now listen, as always, Jesus, the Spirit of God, God himself, does not ask us to do anything that he does not do himself. So we see Jesus kneeling in the garden, a man. Yes, he was all God, but he was a man. Kneeling in the garden, he said, Father, if there be any other way, I would sure like to let this cup of crucifixion pass by. If you want to sit here and talk about it, I got some ideas (laughs) of how I might not have to go to the cross. But he stopped himself in talking about what he wanted, and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. So Jesus denied himself. Now listen, we might not see it in the totality. We might not want to go to a physical cross. But we do have to see the end of this. That in Jesus saying, not my will, but thy will be done. It looked tremendously tragic when he went to the cross. When he was laid over that whipping post. When he was beaten. When he bore... Our Stripes on his back for our healing when he bore our sin in his own body on the tree that day It looked tragic, but three days later. He raised from the dead And he conquered death hell and the grave And he's now seated at the right hand of majesty on high I'm just gonna give you a little comparison as we move forward The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The first Adam did not deny himself. He did what he wanted. And guess what? It looked good. We're going to eat of the tree of the garden. It looks good to make one wise. It, It looks like it's going to be the thing. We don't know why God said to eat it. The devil lied to them, and they indulged in it. And the moment that they ate it, They realized they were vulnerable, without power, and naked. And they went and hid themselves. And from that point on, mankind has struggled under the burden of sin. So you have to see the two paths that took place. Adam did not deny himself, and he subjected the whole world. The Bible said this, I didn't say it. He subjected the whole world to his selfishness and the bondage of sin that came through it. So it looked good at the beginning, but it ended in death and tragedy. Jesus denied himself, and it looked bad and tragic and like death at the beginning, but it turned out to be life and life eternal for everyone who would accept it. We have to take that parallel and understand that what Jesus is saying to us is what looks good right now, if it's not God's will, will take you down a path that will not only subject you, but those who follow you, those who come after you to the sin and death that it produces. But denying yourself looks difficult at the time, but it will bring God's will to pass in our lives as we move forward in those things. And he's not talking about jesus is not talking about something that is just casual or that's easy He begins to talk about in luke the 14th chapter The number two thing that we talked about number one deny yourself The second one is really set your your value system being different. And so he says you're gonna have to count the cost He said if you put mother and father and brother and sister And all the important relationships, I'm paraphrasing right now, you, you put all the other important relationships, and then he gets down to the most important relationship that he's talked about before, and even yourself. If you don't learn how to lowly esteem or hate those relationships more than me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, that tweaks us, especially as Americans. It tweaks us because we've forgotten, we've lost an understanding of honor we have become entitled. We've become very me-minded. we become what about me, uh, all the things that take place. But really, he says, listen, it, it, I'm just pointing out a fact. And we read it, and we're like, well, well, why wouldn't he let me be my disciple just because I put my mom and dad first, just because I put my family first? Why can't I? And he's not saying you can't because I won't let you. He's saying you can't be my disciple If you don't put me first, why? Because anytime that mom and dad disagree with the word of God, you're going to follow them and not me. Anytime that mom and dad demand your attention more than me, you're going to give them attention instead of me. So you can't possibly be following me. You can't serve two masters. You can't follow two things at the same time. You'll be divided. He's just stating a fact. He's not giving you a preference, like if you don't put me first, I don't even want you. He's stating a fact that if I'm not first, you can't actually follow me because something is in the way, and you'll follow that. You'll be diverted by that in that plan. And talking about that sacrifice and counting the cost right there, I heard this story about this student, this this really professional or or popular, knowledgeable, awarded professor, professor. Somebody came up to this gentleman and said I was his student and somebody said, you know, I I met this person named their name And he said and he was your student and that professor said oh, no, 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 no He attended my classes But he was never my student Come on We can go and say listen, I, I attended church but never have become a student or a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm assuming that this student didn't count the cost of study. (laughs) And the last thing we want to crack into today, I don't think we're going to get through it fully, but he said you're going to have to take up your cross daily. Everybody say daily. Daily. You're going to have to take up your cross daily and follow me. See, we like the idea of imagining that we took up our cross once and carried it to the front of the church or wherever and we prayed a prayer and that was it and we got saved and whew, now I'm a disciple. But Jesus said there's something daily. And when we talk about taking up our cross daily, you know, it's gotten into the whole idea of, you know, the sacrifice that I have, you know, this, this situation, this illness in my body, that's my cross to bear. Oh, my children going astray, that's my cross to bear. Oh, working at this job under this rough boss, that's my cross to bear. And there may may be some truth to that. But if we look at Scripture, we understand that the cross is that place of crucifixion. And so it denotes that if you're going to take up your cross, there is going to be something that you are going to have to hang on that cross on a daily, regular basis so as we've been sharing in the morning services in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. We all love Resurrection life, and we all love resurrection power. How many of you love resurrection power? We talk about the supernatural, we talk about resurrection power, we talk about how grand it is, and it is grand. It's wonderful because Christ raised from the dead. Paul said this in Romans chapter 6. He said, Listen, you don't have to be subject to sin and all its power anymore because if you died with Christ, then you also raised with him to a newness of life. In fact, the Christian life is not about just going to the cross. Sometimes we like just take it to the cross Well, we take our sin to the cross But if you don't go through the cross, you'll never experience the new life that Christ has for you So we have a lot of Christians standing at the cross asking for forgiveness every day because they're still bound But once you go through the cross to resurrection life, you get to experience freedom from sin and the bondages that held you captive a lot of people want all the pizzazz they want all the fireworks. They want all the excitement, but you can't have resurrection without death I want to see some produce of resurrection life. I want to see the moving of the spirit I want to see all that but you don't have that without first death. You don't have resurrection life And so Paul said the life that I now live But we're gonna focus on one portion of scripture tonight turn over to Galatians chapter 5 And We may not even get through with all of this But we're looking to just build And we're spending this time if you question that because You all raised your hands You said I want to be a disciple you said I want to follow Jesus and so Jesus said if you want to be my disciple Then you can't just say you want to be my disciple But you have to count the cost you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow me. And so here in Galatians, chapter five, and we're going to start in verse 16. He says, "But I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust the flesh, lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I'm going to stop right there and you know you can cross-reference it if you're studying in your Bible to Romans chapter 7 And Paul says this Paul is talking about the law and how the law shows up sin And then he says he really came to Christ and he found out something was going on He said the things that I want to do I'm not doing and the things I don't want to do. That's what I find myself doing and so I found a conflict that's working on the inside of me and that conflict then he explains here in Galatians, it's the conflict between the old nature, which we call the flesh, and the new nature, which is alive by the Spirit of God. And it says they become in conflict to one another, but I like the way he starts this thought, as he says there is a winning force to this conflict. He said, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, And he's about to define what walking in the spirit means. It doesn't mean being super spiritual. It doesn't mean being really heady about spiritual things. It doesn't mean kind of floating around spiritually. You know, there's times when people, uh, uh, Catherine Kuhlman had a a relationship with God. People kind of thought she was strange in her actions. But man, I'll take those actions with the power that she walked in every, I mean, every time right but sometimes people misunderstood that her her dress and her swoopiness because of the way she dressed was somehow the spirit of god no the power was a release of the spirit of god that was just something that as she worshiped god she kind of got into that but that didn't make her spiritual because she flowed and she talked She lived a life of self-denial and living in the Spirit. Therefore, her flesh and those desires got put aside, and the life and the power of the Spirit emerged in her life. But we mistake and think if we swoop around a little bit, people will think we're spiritual. Oh, God. If we add a little bit to God, that means the Spirit is in it. Thus saith the Lord God Well, that's not spiritual that's just inflection (laughs) But Jesus is talking about a truly spiritual life that is transformative and that battles the old nature That gave place to the power of sin and destruction and overcomes that with life So verse 13 he says for you brethren have been called to liberty only do not use your liberty Wait a minute. I I jumped across the wrong page. Sorry. 13. We want to go to 18. It says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, listen, this is where we're going to attack this over a period of time. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath selfish ambition dissensions heresies envies murders drunkenness revelries and the like of which I tell you beforehand just as I Also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God But the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering kindness goodness Faithfulness gentleness self-control against such there is no law now listen to this. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now where would they crucify that flesh? On the cross that they're taking up daily. Right? You crucify things on the cross. And so he said, and those who have, are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and and envying one another. I'm going to read this out of the Message Bible. I'm going to do a lot of reading here tonight, so just hang with me. Read this out of the Message Bible, hopefully to bring some understanding. He said, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use that freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want To do and destroy your freedom rather use your freedom to serve one another in love That's how that's how freedom grows Now i'm going to jump over to verse 16. My counsel is this live freely Animated and motivated by god's spirit Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us That is at odds with a free spirit Just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness these two ways of life are antithetical So that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time Repetitive loveless cheap sex a Stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness Trinket gods magic show religion paranoid loneliness cutthroat competition all-consuming, yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you. You know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears. And then he goes on to those other things. And so he begins to talk about this flesh That we must crucify and walk in and so i'm going to take this and break this down a little bit The message bible does a good job if we just read it in the king james or the new king james Sometimes we go. I don't even understand half of those words. So they don't apply to me But they begin to work and when we begin to see and to understand these things and to really look at them and 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 I'm just going to, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm just going to read from William Barclay's uh, material because he is a Greek scholar. And hopefully break it down for us just a little bit tonight and bring it to clarity. Because if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we've got to nail these things, crucify our flesh, that old nature. We've got to be willing to say, I'm going to put that one on the cross. And until I've totally defeated, right, I have no way to understand resurrection life. But once I crucify my flesh, I can walk in the spirit. Amen. And when I'm walking in the spirit because I've crucified the flesh, this is the Bible. This is not Pastor Mark saying, okay, this is, how, this is the Bible that says when I come to that point and I am walking in the spirit, I will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's what he says. He says, if you learn to walk in the Spirit. So he bookends it, and he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then he says, listen, if we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. He goes on to say, if you read it in the Message Bible, once he gets past that walking in the Spirit, he says, don't let us be living a life where we're putting others down to build ourselves up. As we see today, is that happens all the time, our flesh kicks back up. He says, listen, when you're spiritual, don't think your spiritualness makes you, gives you a place to put other people down. Your spirituality actually enables you and empowers you to lift other people up, not put them down by your spiritual life. It's truly a walk of freedom. There is no fear. I can pick you up. If I'm walking in the spirit in love, joy, and peace, and goodness, and gentleness, I can always pick you up because I'm not afraid that you're going to look better than me. I just want you to be the best you that you can be. But when we're walking in the flesh, it's always like, boy, if you're better than me, so we put others down to lift ourselves up. But the life of the Spirit actually lifts you to a place. And that's why God can say, if you'll humble yourself in due season, I'll be able to exalt you to a place that you can start pulling other people up rather than holding them down, which makes you look like you're up But you're not they're just down But when God lifts you up you get to start lifting others up All right, and so these things have to really be understood a little bit more and nailed to the cross that we carry daily First of all he talks about adultery and fornication and sexual sin And when we begin to understand that that is the one thing that travels It's a thread that travels throughout all of the scripture You can talk about the law and not talk about the law, but the sexual immorality that invades the church is something that is so goes against the grain of what God wants for us and who he is. Why? Because it begins to totally consume our life with passion for something and someone else. The way you're created, when when you enter into sexual uh, relations with somebody, your mind begins to flash off pictures it begins to release uh, chemicals in your body that that really uh, crystallize those moments and when they're wrong they begin to work shame and they begin to work guilt they begin to lock your life down relationally they begin to really deteriorate your life and so he says listen these things are something that from the beginning to the end has been a strategy of the devil to keep us from having that spiritual koinonia that spiritual intercourse with God because we're physically wrapped up in that sexual immorality. We're imitating that spiritual union, oneness with God, with that natural union with somebody. But when it's out of the bonds of one person that you're committed to for life, it begins to move your your emotions and your mind and capture these moments of commitment and covenant. See, sexual immorality its not that God doesn't want you to have fun. But the act of sexual intercourse is a covenant action. It's really the two becoming one flesh. So Paul told the Corinthian church this in chapter 6. He said, now you need to be careful of, of this because they were, understand this, that Paul, when he was brought up in this, it wasn't a pure society. Paul wasn't coming into a pure society and saying, you know, listen, let's act like everybody else. He came into a society that sexual immorality was not only uh, uh, promoted. It was thought that you could not live without it. You go clear back to the paganism of the Roman Empire. And man, doesn't that sound a little bit familiar? How in the world could we teach our children to abstain from sex, we can teach them all kinds of other things, but to teach them to abstain, see, it's the work of the flesh that's contrary to the life of the spirit. And this is one that's most vital, yet it's almost overlooked, why? Because we think we can't live without it. But you can. He said, listen, if there's sexually immoral thoughts, sexually immoral things, you got to take up your cross and nail it to the cross. You have to bring it to Jesus and count it dead. We're going to move on. I know it's going to be quiet in here for the rest of tonight, next Sunday night. But listen, if you get through the cross to the resurrection... And you're free from the guilt and the shame and the bondage that comes from sexual immorality in any form. You'll be rejoicing that you nailed it to the cross and you raised to a new life, a new way of thinking. Your thoughts are no longer bound, bombarded, led, guided, pulled that direction. You don't need somebody else to make you feel worthy. You're in union with Christ. That's where liberty is and releases us from bondage. Listen, he goes to talk about impurity. And this word impurity is a Greek word, akatharsia, akatharsia. And uh, says it's interesting because it can be used, it gets a little gross, it can be used for the pus of an unclean wound. For a tree that has never been pruned, for material which has never been sifted. In other words, it's just got a bunch of junk in it. In the positive sense, it comes from that root word, which really means and talks about something that is left clean and in good condition. But in most of it, the root word is used about the cleansing that was needed to approach God you know the priests had to wash themselves over and again and they had to have blood in all the right places to be able to approach God and so the antithesis of what he's saying is we are really to be washed in the blood and we are to walk pure and washed as we said today but you've been washed and you've been sanctified and you've been justified so why would we take on the impurity of the flesh as if it's never been sifted as, as if we've never washed out the sin we've never washed by the blood we've never confessed and allowed God to cleanse us of all unrighteousness why would we act like we still have all the the junk the chunks the the, the defilement of the world on our life if we've been washed and if we've been sanctified right they work against one another So he said, get off all impurity. Don't allow your life to have even little remnants of dirt, you know, and and chunks. If you go through and you're you're trying to get topsoil to to really plant something in and nobody, you buy topsoil. I don't know if you've ever done this. This is probably a weak analogy. But you bought topsoil because you're thinking, I want topsoil. I don't want a bunch of rocks. I don't want a bunch of stuff in it. They come and they dump the dump track of topsoil. And you start going through it and it has rocks like this in it. And You're like this is not pure topsoil It's got chunks of clods in it of clay that are just like you have to break them up. You're like this is not topsoil But we bring our life to God and to service to God he's like wait a minute. This is not topsoil We got some of this and we got some of that and we got some of this flesh and we're trying to get some of this spirit and they don't go together And that impurity is a work of the flesh. The next thing he goes to is wantonness. And you're going to understand some of these as we go through it. And you're going to see some of it in your life. And you're going to say, well, that's not really me. But we're going to see it that it pervades the world around us. Our world is not living by the Spirit of God. They're moving and living out of the flesh nature that has bound them. So this word, word wantonness is a Greek word that I cannot pronounce. Asagilia, asagia, and it means this. It means readiness for any pleasure. Wantonness means readiness for any pleasure. The man who practices it has been said to know no restraint, but to do whatever caprice and wanton insolence may suggest. Now listen to this. I think this is important to us. Josephus a historian ascribed it this wantonness to Jezebel when she built the temple of Baal in Jerusalem This idea is that a man who is so far gone in desire that he has ceased to care what people say or think There are people who don't care what anybody else thinks anymore. They're caught in wanton desire That historian's connection to Jezebel helps us because if we go to Revelation and we look at Jesus talking about the churches, the thing that he comes back to the churches is he says, you've taken on the spirit of Jezebel. You've taken on that spirit that all of a sudden doesn't care what anybody thinks. I will desire what I want to desire. I don't care. He says you're going to have to take that if you have desires that you don't care what other people think I'm going to desire what I desire. You're gonna have to take that daily and nail it to the cross Take up your cross daily Why because as I learned the difference between the spirit and the flesh I have to allow my spirit to take ascendancy and say no more flesh. We're gonna crucify you with Christ How many of you still want to be Jesus disciple We always have to check in (laughs) because we lose people along the line. Well, if that's what it takes, I don't know. And we're going to get to that too. All right. Right here, he says, next, idolatry. This means to worship God's which the hands of men have made. It's the sin in which material things have taken the place of God. I'm going to take it just a step farther. You know, we got all kinds of things in our lives that we purchase, that we buy, that now they have to take the place of God. They have to take the place of the Sabbath day because we have to spend time on the things that we spent money on. Otherwise, they just sit in the garage and deteriorate. But I'll tell you, and that idolatry, the Bible says covetousness, desiring to have things, becomes idolatry. But something that we're dealing with in our culture today. Is the idolatry of Jesus being the person that I have made him to be And God being the God that I've made in my own mind In other words if we go to this and we say the word of God says that immorality sexual immorality Is a work of your flesh and it goes against the Spirit of God and you say well? I don't believe that I don't believe that my God Would restrict me from having sex with the person that I love well you just made up your own God a convenient God a God that accepts everything that you want to do and so we have a culture of people who say well that's okay for you but my Jesus accepts this well you if you've made up any other Jesus besides the Jesus of the Bible if you've made up any other God except for the God of the Bible You've created your own idol. Which again, the thing that seemed to confound God, if you read through the scripture, the thing that just confounded God about his people, he showed up, he rescued them, he, he redeemed them, he set up the atonement that once a year they'd be cleansed. He did miracles and signs and wonders to deliver them. He's come into our life and he's, he, Jesus has redeemed us, he's forgiven us, he's washed us, he's put his spirit on the inside of us, he's empowered us. And the thing that just seems to puzzle God is like, How in the world do you, my man, that I've created in my likeness and my image, come up with worshiping something you created rather than the one who created you? It just boggles the mind that you fashioned something and then said, I worship you as my God, but you made it. God says, are you kidding me? And you have trouble worshiping me who made not only you, but the heavens and the earth and everything that in them is, and you're struggling with worshiping that? But that automobile that Ford made? (laughs) Shine that baby up. Look at my Ford. But we have trouble saying, look at my God. I'm just trying to show you how ridiculous the flesh is. Because we don't even think about it. This is where we get caught up and we don't even think about it. Oh, God, my car. Don't anybody touch my car? But people can mess with your thought about God all the time. He said the works of the flesh are actually evident if we stop and look at them. They're evident. The thing is we don't want to stop and look at them. And your flesh doesn't want you to stop and look at it because the moment you do, you're like... Oh my God, we need to put this on the cross and get it dead Because it's ugly All right, one more think you could take one more He says witchcraft and we all look at that and go (laughs) Witchcraft This literally means listen to this This literally means the use of drugs It can mean the benefit, beneficent use of drugs, but it can also mean poisoning. The reason they use witchcraft is because drugs became a very big part of sorcery in the ancient days. But that word witchcraft is pharmacia. It actually means the use of drugs. And so we get to the point of what our flesh says. That piece of God stuff ain't enough. That joy of the Lord being your strength, that ain't enough. We need some help. Okay. You said you could take one more, but you didn't take that very good. <laughs> Come on. The flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. As we look at these, I, I guarantee you, you start breaking them down, you look at them in the Message Bible... And your flesh will start to say, come on, that's not us. Our God doesn't think that way about us. My God. Oh, that sexual immorality, I'm really not there because I'm in love. It'll start saying that. Why? Because it's warring against your spirit. And why is it? It tells us, why is it warring against your spirit? Your flesh is warring against your spirit. So your spirit cannot do the things that it wants to do. Your spirit wants to do some amazing things. Your spirit wants to love people. Your spirit wants to have peace in life. Your spirit wants to have joy. Your spirit wants to show goodness and have goodness. It wants to be gentle. Your spirit wants to show self-control in any situation. Your spirit wants to be faithful and loyal to things. But it can't when self is in the way, when flesh is in the way but then your spirit rises up and says no to your flesh why so your flesh cannot kill you like it wants to so thank god that warfare is going but he lets us know listen if you'll give place to the spirit if you'll crucify your flesh if you'll take up your cross daily to not follow your flesh but to follow him it will result in a life of the spirit that will set you free from the law of sin and death. It may look like crucifixion in the beginning, but it ends with resurrection and ascension to a place of authority. All right, we'll finish up the other half. Thought we wouldn't do it all tonight. It might be a little brutal to your flesh. So we went through enough that you could say daily, On Monday, I'm going to work on crucifying this. On Tuesday, I'm going to work on crucifying this. On Wednesday, I'm going to work on crucifying this. Amen. We take up our cross daily and we follow him. Why don't you stand up with me? If you're here in this room or you're watching by live stream, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. This is the very beginning of walking in the spirit. You can't have spiritual life without accepting jesus christ jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except through me you can't imagine your own way to god you can't come a different way you come through jesus christ but it's amazing because he breaks the power of sin and puts you into the place that you were created to be so if you're here t- tonight in this room or if you're there and you've never made jesus the lord of your life let's all pray this together bow your heads if you've never made him pray this for the first time the Bible says that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new, and everything is of God. And the way we get in Christ, it is that we acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of our life. We believe that God raised him from the dead for the forgiveness of our sin. And he says, if we'll acknowledge that, we'll be saved from that sin that bound us. So pray this with me. Say, Father God, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. In this moment, I'm denying myself and I'm calling upon you. And tonight, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died for my sin and that God raised you from the dead for my justification. And so I thank you for saving my life, being my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you prayed that prayer for the first time tonight, there will be an altar worker up here. They just want to give you a little packet uh, that will help you read about the new birth and what that means to you.